Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Bay Preps Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Castle, and I'm a big believer that it's never too early. It's never too early to talk about open division basketball. So even though most leagues haven't played games yet, most schools aren't even in winter break yet, it's already time to talk about who could make or miss the Open Division in both the Central Coast section and North Coast section. With results as of December 19th, it is the morning of December 20th as I record this. December 20th is also one of the National Signing Days for football. And I do have a couple of quick recruiting updates that I did want to share before getting into the Open Basketball discussion. Reardon offensive lineman Kololo Taaga has committed to USC. If you weren't aware of his story and timeline, it's pretty amazing. No experience playing football outside of Madden before his senior year. After his junior basketball season, Adir Ravapati and the rest of the Reardon football staff convinced him to come out. After a week of workouts, he had Mountain West offers. After three games, he had an SEC offer from Florida. He played a grand total of 11 high school football games and is now committed to USC. He's a quick learner. He's got very good footwork. He is a mature leader. And as big as he is, he could get even bigger. You know, you put him on a college weight program. That's that's pretty terrifying, and it's just... It's such a cool story because every signing day story is pretty awesome. But I don't think there are too many kids that are this new to playing organized football. You know, no Pop Warner experience or even flag football experience or making a switch from rugby or something. No, he's coming over just from playing, just from playing basketball and boom, now he's playing D1 football. The other big Bay Area commitment came out of Sarah, where tight end Cole Harrison committed to Tennessee. He took a visit there last week. You look at his list of offers, you know, it was a lot of Mountain West, some of the soon-to-be-defunct Pac-12, and then Tennessee came in. Hopefully going to talk with him during... Sarah's signing day event, find out a little bit more about, you know, what the visit to Tennessee was like, what made the school stand out versus some of the others who had offered him and had been interested in him for longer. Bay Area kids stay at schools on the West Coast, but I think it can also be great to have a few go and kind of spread beyond the area. Put some of these Northern California cities and programs on the map. Playing in the SEC, playing in a place like Tennessee That is certainly somewhere that can open a lot of people's eyes. Similar to how, you know, they've had a couple of modern-day kids. I believe their kicker, Chase McGrath, was from modern-day, as well as one of their receivers, Brew McCoy, who ended up there after bouncing back and forth between USC and Texas. A bit of a strange path he was on. Yeah, another example you could go to is Brock Bowers at Georgia. But Harrison's been such an interesting one to follow because last year, the week of their De La Salle game, I went over to a practice to get some photos and quotes and saw Harrison. I was like, wow, who's the big dude 
who can catch and run routes pretty well. And they say, oh, he's our backup tight end. And most schools, you know, you have a guy like that, he's getting 10 targets a game minimum. And last year, he was on the bench for a lot of the game. He would get in and block some. But he was also behind the likes of Seamus Gilmartin, who was a heck of a tight end himself. For his entire junior season, Harrison had four catches. So between just moving up the depth chart, getting older, bigger, stronger, and better, things worked out where he got far more opportunities as a senior, and now he's going to be signing his letter of intent to play in the SEC. Sarah's stats on max preps are not complete, so not going to rattle off the numbers on that because that doesn't cover everything they did. I will mention this, though. If you're ever out in Knoxville or that region of East Tennessee in the Appalachian Mountains, that whole stretch really from Knoxville on east and into North Carolina and in towards Asheville is just a beautiful part of the country. Sometimes when people from here think about the Appalachian Mountains, they think about, you know, poverty or hillbillies, rednecks, what have you. That is a beautiful place, that stretch from eastern Tennessee to western North Carolina. Not all of Appalachia is perfect. I know there's, you know, there are parts of, say, eastern Kentucky and parts of West Virginia that do have to deal with a lot of poverty, but I gotta say, that stretch between Knoxville and Asheville, the Smoky Mountains, Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, phenomenal. As for basketball stuff, what was really going to be the meat of this episode, a few recent results have really started to shape the open division picture, so to get things started, on Saturday, Menlo Atherton beat Palo Alto 61-42 in a battle of unbeatens. I'll be seeing M.A. again Thursday night as they visit Menlo in a rivalry game where they should enter as the favorite, but it'll be far from a freebie. You know Menlo will be up for that game. They beat them in football this year. They were certainly up for that one, too. Should be a fun atmosphere. Excited to see the creativity of the M.A. sixth man, which was on display on Saturday. A couple other kids brought in a leaf blower to make noise during free throws and to, you know, blow the ball off course. And then after the game, one of the kids with the leaf blower asked him about it. He said, we blew their shots off course and we blew them out on the scoreboard, which was pretty clever. Trevor Cadigan scored 20 points, Justin Morad 17, and Jack Anderson, who I think has to be the early favorite for PAL Bay MVP, ahead of Jefferson's Tassan Clark by a bit. 15 points and 15 boards. M.A. pulled away late in the third quarter, closed the third on a 7-0 run, and then quickly got the lead out to 15 early in the fourth. Good mix of juniors and seniors. I think this team maybe doesn't have quite as much athletic upside as last year's team outside of Anderson, and they are a little bit smaller. They're not small, but they don't have, you know, like a bunch of six, seven dudes. But I think this year's MA team, to borrow the term from former Burlingame and Cappuccino head coach Pete Haramus, they have basketball players instead of guys playing basketball. You know, the difference between the two guys playing basketball, you have you know, football players that are picking up basketball, and while they have the athletic ability, maybe don't necessarily 
understand the game quite as well. Whereas these guys are basketball players first and foremost. Some of them are still multi-sport athletes. This isn't a knock on multi-sport athletes. You know, I encourage playing as many sports as possible and hanging out with your friends and having fun. But I think these kids just, they have a more profound understanding of the game, especially on offense. You can see that with their spacing, with their ball movement. Palo Alto could certainly still be in the open conversation as well, although I would say the leader out of the SCVAL before they've even played a league game. The favorite's got to be Los Gatos. Wildcats just beat Santa Cruz over the weekend. That's a big, big win as they're getting their football guys integrated. As I said, they look pretty good even without those football guys. But yes, 61-59 to over Santa Cruz on Saturday night. Sophomore DeMarco Hunter with 22 for Santa Cruz. Kirby Seals with 19. But Los Gatos, 22 for Nolan Koch. And 17 from Scotty Brennan. A welcome addition from football. Still, I think at the moment, Los Gatos will be on the outside looking in. They have just two losses. One to MA by six and one to Branham by three in the championship game of the Los Gatos Lions Club tournament. Branham will be an interesting player in the open division discussion. They are currently 10-1. Their only loss is in overtime to St. Francis from L.A. at the Kings Academy tournament. However, Branham's schedule, while they played some quality teams, good wins over Carlmont, Kings Academy, Los Gatos, Wilcox by 17. They haven't played a lot of open division level competition, and they don't have much of it on their schedule moving ahead. In fact, the BVAL hasn't sent a team to the open division since 2014. I think they'd have to pretty much win out, run the table, go 21-1 and or 23-1. and I see only 22 games on their schedule, but could be a couple that just aren't up on max preps. Anyway, the point is they basically have to run the table to get there. I think you're most likely looking at Branham as a really high seed in Division One, as they are up to D1 this year with the updated enrollment counts. Actually, they were D1 last year as well. But if the CCS Open Division was to start right now, I think it would be six WCAL teams and then Sacred Heart Prep and Menlo Atherton. Now, a lot of gets sorted out through league standings. A lot of these teams will have to have success within their leagues, etc. But if I had to pick right now, the only change from last year's field would be Bellarmine in over Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz, Los Gatos, Branham, Palo Alto, all kind of in that category of teams just outside, but still in the open conversation. I guess Kings Academy could throw their hat in the ring. Their only two losses being to St. Francis of L.A. and Branham. But I think we're already able to thin the herd pretty significantly here. Maybe Half Moon Bay. If they could make some noise in the PAL Bay, knock off Menlo Atherton. They've got an opportunity against Sarah this week, but their losses to Palo Alto and Stewart Hall certainly won't do them any favors. Although their 26-point win over Whitney looks really good especially after Whitney only lost to Doherty Valley by six and then beat Indercom last night. But yes, if I had to guess, six WCAL, SHP, MA, 
the order of those, a lot of it will be sorted out by head-to-head and league standings. In the North Coast section, a couple of results that could affect things. Dublin beating Los Lomas by 26 to win their own Don Nelson Classic. Clayton Valley beating Folsom by 11 to win the Riley Christensen Classic. That's Clayton Valley's tournament. Folsom had beaten San Joaquin Memorial in the semis. San Joaquin, defending state D2 champs, loaded with talent and size, but it looks like a lot of their team was battling the flu over the weekend. That said, as great as the talent has been at San Joaquin, the way I look at the Fresno teams in general is Clovis West and Clovis North have elite coaching, while San Joaquin has elite talent. You know, different programs specialize in different things. And I've believed for a while that San Joaquin specializes in identifying great players and bringing them in, while Clovis West and Clovis North special in really getting the most out of their guys. I I really like this Clovis North coaching staff. I haven't gotten to see as much of Clovis West as I have Clovis North since Clovis North's been a gridly team the last couple years, but I've certainly enjoyed what I've seen out of both of them. Redwood's win over University could also end up being pivotal in the NCS Open discussion, as could Clayton Valley's win over San Ramon Valley, which was on the second day at Gridley. There's so much that would have to get sorted out through league play, but if, at this moment, with the games that were played on the night of December 19th as our most recent results to go off, you can say pretty much for sure that Branson, De La Salle, and Salesian will be in the Open Division, and it's just a matter of ordering those three, which, good luck. Branson lost to Salesian at the buzzer in OT. De La Salle and Salesian both beat Centennial by identical 62-51 to 51 scores. So, uh, good luck figuring that out. The fight for the other three spots is going to be quite interesting. If I had to guess at the moment, whoever finishes second in the EBAL will get in. Whoever wins the DAL would get in. You would you would think that would be Clayton Valley. And that last spot, I think at the moment, Redwood, by virtue of beating SRV and University. So if I had to guess right now, Dublin, Clayton Valley... And Redwood would be the other three. Now that said, any of Granada, SRV, Doherty Valley, Monta Vista could still totally finish second in the EBAL. We're just going to put Dublin in there as the placeholder at the moment. That whole EBAL race is going to be a lot of fun. You could end up with a third EBAL team. You could throw Montgomery into the conversation, possibly. We haven't yet had a representative from Sonoma County in the NCS Open Division, so that would certainly be neat. In fact, Dublin is the only team that's made all three of the NCS Open Divisions to this point. But yes, Montgomery could be in the picture. Their only loss was to Camp Alindo in OT. We'll get a good look at them at the Bambauer Classic. They have wins over Cardinal Newman and Redwood. Their next meeting with Newman, Newman will have transfer Tatum Kurpinski eligible. He came over from Cloverdale. And then one other team that could be an interesting one in the discussion is Berkeley. 
Berkeley currently 6-1. They have a win over Doherty Valley. Their one loss was by 24, but it was to St. Joseph of Santa Maria, one of the best in the state. They also just beat Modesto Christian. They have a huge game at SRV on January 4th. They also have a showdown with Oakland Tech on January 20th. That will be a team to keep track of as we progress throughout the season. As for the Redwood University game, Redwood did a really nice job packing the lane, hitting the boards. They out-rebounded University 22-3 in the first half, which is simply insane. University came back from down 18, took a brief one-point lead, but Redwood held on. Jake Vasquez played excellent defense on Cole Boak. Gil Ledetsky hit six threes. Brennan Woodley hit three of them. And I really like the work of backup point guard Noah Tanaka, who just made winning plays. And while University has shown the ability to come back from down double digits, hard to come back from down 18 against such a good team and easy to just run out of gas once you, once you have worked your way back, if you are able to work your way back. So the TLDR version, once again, at the moment, CCS Open, 6WCAL, MA, Sacred Heart Prep. NCS Open, De La Salle, Branson, Salesian, Dublin, Clayton Valley, Redwood. So much could still change. Tournaments over the next couple weeks will do a lot. Everything is fluid. Everything is dynamic. Before I sign off, I do want to mention the predicament that Bellarmine and St. Francis may both find themselves in. The playoff qualification rules in the CCS are pretty lax with the purpose of benefiting the WCAL. Most years, even the worst team in the WCAL is somewhere between the 15th and 20th best team in the CCS, if not better sometimes as good as somewhere between 10th through 12th. So one of the ways the section accommodates those teams so that they can make the playoffs and not be punished for being in the best league is that you can qualify for the postseason with a 500 non-league record. The CCS has a maximum of 24 games, the WCAL has 14, so you play 10 non-league games. You got to win five of them to qualify. So far, Sarah, SI, Valley Christian, and Sacred Heart Cathedral have all done that. Reardon and Mitty have not gotten to five, but currently hold winning records. St. Francis and Bellarmine, on the other hand, do not. Bellarmine is two and four, and will be playing four games down at Torrey Pines next week. St. Francis is two and three, visits Mountain View this Friday, and then we'll play four games down at Torrey Pines. So there are scenarios where neither of those teams, or just one, could have playoff eligibility locked up heading into league play. In the 2021-22 season, Sacred Heart Cathedral missed out after failing to post a 500 non-league or league record. In 2019, St. Ignatius needed to go 500 in league play and did so after posting a losing non-league record. The most famous occasion I can think of, though, was the 2017-2018 Midi Monarchs, who started off 2-10, actually 2-12, and 
a 2-8 non-league record, lost their first four WCAL games, made the playoffs at literally the last second, free throws in the final moments of their final league game to clinch a 7-7 league record, and then made it to the CCS Open Division Championship game and a NorCal semifinal. So depending on results in the next couple weeks, St. Francis and Bellarmine can find themselves in those predicaments. Not to do too much speculating, but I think it would be fair to feel better about Bellarmine's chances than St. Francis. This is a very young and inexperienced St. Francis team that I don't think most people are projecting to win more than a couple of WCAL games. So stories to follow over the next couple weeks. Interesting predicaments for those teams. If it's any consolation and you're worried about your team in that situation, again, that MIDI team that was moments from missing the playoffs made the Open Division Championship, and then went on to a NorCal semifinal before finally bowing out. And Sacred Heart Cathedral, after missing the 2022 playoffs, you know, they just won the Open Division in 2023. That's just about going to do it for now. Hopefully have a few more of these shorter, quicker episodes coming at you soon. This has been a lot of fun. I enjoy this time of year. I enjoy talking basketball with all of you. This has been the Bay Preps Insider Podcast. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and share this with anyone you think might even be remotely interested. Annoy everyone you possibly can about it. Feedback is always appreciated. Email me, ethancastle at gmail.com. Shoot me a DM on Twitter. I'm still calling it Twitter, as most people are. And yeah, I look forward to hearing from you and... Hopefully see you at some games soon.